think that photo videographer conflict, I feel like it's gone away. Everybody's kind of doing the same things. You just communicate, you get the job done. It's a better product on both sides for the clients, better experience, everyone's yeah. happy. And then this last weekend happened. Oh no, oh no. <laughs> Welcome to the Union Podcast. I'm Jamie Wolfer. And I'm Heather Fear. We're two wedding planners who just love to share how we got started and scaled to beyond six figures in this amazing and sometimes really competitive industry. We talk about the tech, tactics, mindset, and mistakes that have helped us to get to this point in our business. So whether you're a solopreneur or just dreaming about starting a wedding business, we are here to support you on this journey. Let's dive into this week's episode. So as a new coordinator with 10 events under my belt, I still struggle with boundaries. <laughs> I've nailed down a few, but here are a couple I am struggling with. One, pinning on boutonnieres. Two, event trash at the end of the night. Three, setup slash cleanup timeframes and duties. Four, family setting up at the same time as you and not listening to you. Five, issues with buffet signage, not you issue the venues. Uh, the couple setting up vendor meetings and inviting you to all of them, et cetera. How can I be more specific with what I am there to do and not do. Okay. I'm going to go through each and every single one of these one pinning on boutonniere is scary at first. It gets easier. If you want to have a hard boundary for that, I would turn it. Honestly, here's what I would do. I would turn it into a joke. I would say, you don't want me doing that. I know. I know you'd think the planner would be good at that, but it gets bloody some sort of joke where it's like easy to deflect that and say, let me see if I can find someone to help out with that photographer might be a good option for that. Um, but I also would say it would be a good idea for you to learn this skill set because you will be turned upon for this on many different occasions and you don't want it to actually get bloody, um, event trash at the end of the night. You need to learn to ask some of these questions beforehand. All right. So what needs to happen with trash? This is actually, I think it's in the final details document. So I asked this question before the wedding day even starts. I need to know what the trash plan is before I set foot on property, because I don't want to be there busing tables till two o'clock in the morning. True story. Been there, done that. I also don't want to be responsible for hauling off trash. Almost true story. Luckily I found out before the event happened and we were able to have the caterers take it away in their catering van. So that's a question you need to ask beforehand because it's hard to set that boundary when it's someone's wedding day and you feel really responsible for something like trash. So ask the question beforehand. Hey, what's the plan with trash? What does the venue require? Yeah, we, we're just checking because it's kind of like different with a bunch of different places. Ask that beforehand. Set up slash cleanup timeframes and duties. I very clearly say I only set up and or tear down stuff that is not typically done by another professional vendor. So is there a sign person on your wedding day? No. Is there usually a baker? Yes. So I will set up your signs. I will set up your escort cards, your table numbers, your card box, your gift table. I will set up those things for you. I will set out your favors. There's no favorite vendor. I will do that. I will not do a dessert table. I won't. Or I will not do your centerpieces because that is usually fulfilled by a, another professional who's working alongside me. Centerpieces, when people say, can you just set this out? Like, your just is like 45 minutes worth of work. So I appreciate that, you know, you thinking that I, I'm superwoman and I can handle all this. That's not something that I do. So using that line of, I only do what's not typically done by another professional vendor really tends to like cut off some of the duties. As far as timeframes are concerned, I only work an eight hour shift. I don't really, I maybe 30 minutes extra if I decide to stick around, but I always tell them, all right, I show up two hours beforehand and I leave basically at the end of the event, but we've torn down everything. We like to call ourselves tear down ninjas. I tell them what I do. And I'm very clear about it beforehand, because again, once you get to that event time, it's like, shoot, I guess I got to stick around for another hour. And I had that happen where I was required by the venue to stay for another two hours. 
And I knew I didn't have it in me to be confrontational and to go to the bride and be like, Hey, you owe me an extra two hours worth of money. That's just not my vibe. That's not my style. So I stayed for free. Um, and then next time I was like, now I put the boundary down. Now I say, okay, here's where it ends. Um, so a lot of this boundary stuff, you're going to learn baptism by fire. You're going to learn by mistakes, but you have to ask these questions beforehand and then communicate very clearly, like overly communicate family setting up at the same time as you and not listening to you. I would then put a boundary on that ahead of time. You know, you never know what kind of family you're going to experience. So something along the lines of like, Okay. So as far as, uh, this is concerned, you have someone who's going to direct the family members for you. Just planting the question on the client. Do you have someone who's going to direct that? Oh, you would like that for that to be me. Okay. Is there a head person of the family that a lot of people respect <laughs> that I can go to? That would be like my liaison. Cause uh, it sounds like you had a circumstance where they weren't listening and they were probably kind of ignoring you. And they're like, who is this chick? And like, why is she trying to Nope. You then set that boundary. Okay. Well, who can be in charge of the family? Because in my experience, working with family is great. It's, it's wonderful. The only caveat to that is like, sometimes they, they can be a little bit difficult to direct if they don't know who I am. So it helps to have a face of the family to help with that. What do you do to build your business while not in peak wedding season? So really kind of leaning into streamlining, really leaning into, you know, what can you offload onto an app? What can you tweak or make look nicer? And then how can you be doing any sort of pushing content out? If, if that is a goal of yours to do so, that's what I would be doing during that down season and networking, getting in Facebook groups, because uh, we are about to hit and engagement season. So not peak wedding season is engagement season. This is when you hustle. This is when you advertise. This is when you push yourself out there. January is the month to go to an expo. January is the month to go to an expo. So that's what I would say is like, how do you get ready for the next wedding season? And how can you acquire customers? And when they come to you, how do you make sure that they're having a pleasant experience visually on your website and your Instagram, whatever, um, to go to an expo or do an expo. Haven't done either. I would say, go do one. That, that's both. I, I would do one uh, because you can get in trouble for passing out your material um, if you have not booked a booth. I see a lot of return on investment for an expo. Just make sure that you know how many couples are going, you know how much it costs um, and make sure obviously you have those funds available. But I do think it's always a good idea to do an expo. You'll get really good at your sales pitch. You'll probably get a few clients out of it. Uh, it's just smart. So I would definitely, if you have the funds to do it, do it. Are there any additional associations, certifications, or badges that you would recommend that would build my confidence as well as the confidence of future clients? I have a bone to pick with some of these places that offer certification. And I say that, and we offer a certification. Like you get a badge from us afterwards, like as featured on and having a bunch of things at the bottom of your website is great, right? There's some websites or some planners or some companies out there that have like a ton of those on their website, which is great. But I don't think that you have to have that to attract personnel. I do think that that is a confidence thing. That's less of a necessity. I could, I, we got wedding wire, wedding planner of the blah, 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 whatever, several years. We never post it. We never use it. It's just like, it, for me, that certification does not matter. And I do think, yeah, especially now that you have to pay for wedding wire and the knot, I'm like not a huge fan from a vendor perspective. If you are going to do it, getting featured for a styled shoot is a great way to go because there's no, the only buy-in cost is the cost of doing the styled shoot. You don't have to pay a monthly fee for the knot or for wedding wire. So that's where I would go if you wanted to. Like we had, yeah, we've had a weddings featured on Style Me Pretty, Wedding Chicks, quite a few different places and I just haven't put the badges up. So find a name that you see recognizable, 
do a styled shoot or submit a wedding and get that badge because that way it's not a lot of money to buy in to get one. Do you feel it is worthwhile to intern for another planner or coordinator while in the beginning stages of developing your business? Yes. I think there are great merits to interning with somebody else. I literally only assisted at one other wedding before starting mine, but that's because like, I was like, I, I know how to do this. Like I know how to run events. I've grown up running events. Like now it's just a matter of figuring out wedding etiquette, you know? So that's why we offer the master plan to you guys. So you can kind of go through and figure out how I plan weddings or how like we on staff plan weddings and then kind of go from there because really the act of planning a wedding is like very basic. It's very basic. It's the etiquette and it's the emotional stuff that are really the etiquette, the finances and the emotions that really trip people up from getting started. Like what if I say the wrong thing? What if I do the wrong thing? What if I don't give the right financial advice? That's where you get the hangups there. So if you feel like that's necessary, kind of as a confidence booster, go for it. But I don't think you have to do it. Is it worthwhile? Of course. I'm sure you're going to learn a bunch of things you want to do and maybe several things you don't want to do. I feel comfortable helping with the planning and design process, but should I find someone to shadow if I've never worked a wedding before taking on my own events? How many weddings should I book if I am just getting started? If you've never worked a wedding before, I definitely see the merit of watching at least one event going behind the scenes of at least one or like shadowing a catering team to watch how they run it throughout the day. I do think that that's important to at least see or experience what a wedding day is like. Obviously I planned my own, I experienced it. And like right afterwards started my business. Um, and then within a month or two, I'd booked my first client. So I was like, it's all fresh. It's all still there. But if you've never seen behind the scenes of the wedding, it might be worth working at least one with somebody to be like, oh, so that's supposed to happen. Okay. <laughs> How many weddings should I book if I am just getting started? As many as you feel comfortable with. I would say probably not over 10. Just keep, try to keep it small, especially because you're probably not going to be quitting your day job anytime soon. So you want to make sure that you're available for both your day job brain-wise and your clients brain-wise um, and emotionally and time-wise. Can we all just collectively agree that 2022 is going to be the year that we no longer leave money on the table? That's why we absolutely love Generation Tux and their amazing partner program. Yes, we do, Jamie. They are amazing over there. We love their suits and we love this program. Why do we love this program, Jamie? Tell them why. Okay, well, obviously they're the only suit company that I wanted for Brothers Wedding, right? But in addition to that, they will actually give your client a discount. And in addition to that, you end up getting a referral payout as well. So I don't know about you, but I don't think it gets any better than that. I'll say what's even better about it, you guys. If you're a newbie to this affiliate game, this is like the easiest thing to get started with. It feels super comfortable and authentic. They hold your hand as you get started and actually have a conversation with you and make sure you understand what they've got going on over there. So if you're listening to this podcast going, how do I get started with affiliate stuff? This is confusing and overwhelming. This is step one. This is an easy partnership. You're going to have fun working with them and provide your clients an amazing product. So go over to the unionpodcast.com slash tux and uh, get started. Check it out. And we hope you enjoy working with Generation Tux. We're going to interrupt this podcast for just a moment because there is a screaming deal that you guys absolutely have to take advantage of. You see, I've been using HoneyBook in my business for like, I don't know, the last four years or so. And honestly, no kidding, this is one of the best decisions I have made. It makes it so easy for me to keep track of clients, keep track of details, and to avoid that dreaded accidental double booking. Did anybody else just shudder when I said that out loud? Because that totally did. But the good news is with HoneyBook, you don't have to worry about any of those things. It is literally made for wedding vendors like you and me. But the reason that we're talking about them today is because they are offering a screaming deal that you have to take advantage of. 
For the next eight months, if you sign up right now, for the next eight months, all you got to pay is $1 a month. $1 a month. This is ridiculous. Please head over there and sign up and make your life so much easier. Head on over to theunionpodcast.com slash dollar because it's a dollar a month. All right, back to your regular scheduled programming. I have a friend who wants to partner with me on my business. I'm not sure I'm ready to partner yet, but could use the help. How would you handle hiring a friend to help your business and explain to them that you aren't ready to fully partner yet? Also, how do you pay that person? Okay, so as far as the partnership, that sounds like it's definitely more of an emotional question because it could be, I'm scared to share this or I don't want to share this or no, I really had visions of this being like just my thing and I don't plan on partnering with anybody. So I would probably phrase it in such a way of like, I am so excited. Like you're so sweet. Maybe not. I'm so excited. You're so sweet to offer that. I am nowhere in the position to even like be like sharing half of a grape right now. Plus, I'd really like to see if this is really the field that like I want to stick it out in. So I think I need to spend the first portion of this kind of like running this solo. But if you want to assist at events, that would be incredible. In fact, I actually would love that. I just don't know if I'm I'm anywhere near the right headspace to offer 50% of a grape, you know, and that hopefully that language will help. How did you build your team of hourly day of assistance? It's getting to the point where having another set of hands and eyes are a must at events. So I had gotten from the very beginning, like even on the expo, people walked up to me, like those who wanted to be planners and had handed me their resumes. So that I had my mom. My mom was 100% my backup. She still is. Everyone's watched she'll still work weddings with me, especially out here in Texas where we haven't really set up a team yet. So having a family member or friend who you trust in the very beginning is a great idea. Who you know will listen, will follow direction, will be like, well, should you do this? And you're like, I didn't ask for your mouth. I just asked for your hands. Okay, just get some stuff done. So maybe start with something like that. Uh, is there someone close to you that you can uh, use and then really kind of figure out as someone else who's a uh, safe sounding board for you to be like, this went well, this didn't go well, as opposed to a brand new intern where you're like, hi, I have to look like I know what I'm doing and I don't. So that's how I started. I would also recommend maybe starting that way if that sounds like it's appealing to you. If you are getting to the point where you are ready for another uh, assistant or ready for an assistant, Facebook group is, my answer to so many things is gonna be Facebook group. But honestly, like if you can find a local wedding planning Facebook group, that's gonna be the best way to crowdsource any of this or find another planner in your area who's like got some downtime and is happy to assist you those kinds of things. I, I would start there. And then if you have a little bit of a following on Instagram, you could also post, Hey, looking to bring on a new intern DM us, but you're going to find the most gold, the most bang for your buck, either in networking circles or in a Facebook group. Okay. For a styled shoots, how do you do a contract with the vendors? I've never done a contract with vendors for a styled shoot. I see the wisdom in that, but I did not know that that was even the thing until much later. Um, what do you include for the vendors participating? Legally set may have a styled shoot contract. So I would go there and then just buy buy all of Kunbi's stuff. Okay. Kunbi's the the creator, the attorney behind Legally Set, just all of her stuff. She's amazing. Um, and then what to include for the vendors participating? Everyone gets photos out of it. So I'm not quite sure what the question is, but I would say, yeah, everyone's getting photos out of it. It would also be important to talk about a collective goal. Like what's the goal? Do we want to be uh, featured somewhere? Do we just want to build our portfolios? What's the goal of this? And then who is going to be spearheading that feature? And what are we getting out of it? Are we getting 20 photos? Are we getting 100 photos? You know, what's everyone bringing in? How should a new coordinator approach getting on a venue and other vendors recommendation list? We have someone either still currently in, or I'm not quite sure, who is the venue coordinator. And she's like, I love when 
coordinators would just set up times to come do a tour and just make nice and shake hands and leave a business card. And she's like, that bodes really well. So that's what I would do. Like boots on the ground, just hoof it, get out there, get those business cards out. You know, the ones that you like spent 72 hours designing and then have sat in your, your purse since then get those out and really go meet some people as far as getting on vendors lists. That's if you're not going to mixers, that's really hard, like in-person mixers, because it's not like cold calling someone to be like, Hey, will you like me? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's a lot harder. You're going to have to really develop a relationship with them. Now, as far as other like recommendation lists, after you work an event, it's always a great idea to shoot off an email to the vendors that you liked that you want to work with again to be like, Hey, you're rad. Like, I really enjoyed my time with you. This was awesome. Like, just want to make sure, is this all the up-to-date contact information? Cause I'd love to have you on our, our list of vendors we recommend. Um, and automatically they're like, Oh wait, what? And then in return, they're like, wait, you're cool too. We'd love to share you with other people too. Not all vendors have lists. Um, but you were leaving a good impression on them because you're like, Hey, you're cool enough that I'm putting you on my list. So if you feel like recommending me to other people, that sounds great. That's what we've done in the past. And it tends, tended to be the most effective. Um, how do you suggest I can compete with very inexpensive wedding planners popping up during this wedding boom? I've seen some for as low as $200 for day of coordination. What sets you apart? What sets you apart? Like, why is your service better? Because it's more intentional because I can spend more time with you because I'm able to learn your wedding day inside and out. When you are working with someone who's only $200, you're probably not going to get a lot of pre-wedding attention from them. Um, they may or may not do a detailed personalized timeline and send it out to all of your vendors on your behalf. They may not reach out. So here are all the things that I know I do. And I know that this is obviously the value that I bring. But at the same time, the ones that are charging $200 are not our competition. They're not, they're not, and they're not going to last long. It's just, they're going to burn out emotionally because it's too much for them, or they're not going to be great at it. If they're, if they really don't have their finger on the pulse of like what people should be charging in that area, it's not they are not the same thing at all. It'd be like this if I was felt frustrated or threatened by not that you feel threatened, but like it felt like I was competing with someone who did hundred thousand dollar weddings. I'm like, that's not even on my radar. Like I I I will never be a two hundred dollar day of coordinator. Never. And that's okay. And people with enough knowledge about the situation would look at the two hundred bucks and be like, that's scary. Why? Why is it only two hundred dollars? That's your clientele. Not the ones that are like, two hundred dollars, take my money. There is a butt for every seat in the wedding industry and the $200 clients ain't it. And they, you don't want them to be it. So they are not your competition. Remember what value you bring to the table. And if you do get presented with, well, this person's doing it for $200. Be like, well, here's my concern. You know, that seems like a great price point, but that's nowhere near what most of us normally charge. So I'd be worried that they'd be missing something from this long list of things that we currently do. There's a reason behind each and every single one of these things. So if you want to make that decision based off of budget, I totally understand. Godspeed to you. But we, we charge what we charge for a reason. And we're really, really proud of what we, rep, what we present. I hope this doesn't come off as wrong, but I noticed a major shift in my clients from when I upped my pricing. I'm truly booking my ideal clients now. That is precisely, precisely it. Because your confidence affects your pricing, right? So like, if you're like, I don't know if I should. I don't know if I could. I'm going to kind of like stay right here. Like, I don't want, what if someone calls me out and they're like, you actually don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, I'm sorry. When you up that price point, when you get to that next tier, the the next echelon, so to speak, you get to that price point of people who go, absolutely, I respect that. When you're on that lower range, you tend to get the budget brides, which there's nothing wrong with that. You guys know I have such a heart for budget brides, but I charge more than budget brides can afford. 
That's why I make free content for them. But my actual clients, they pay a little bit more. Like I don't work with anyone who has a budget under $20,000. It's absolutely illogical. I would be a waste of funds. So most of what I do is $30,000 and up. That's not necessarily what I'm always advertising on YouTube, but like it's not sustainable in those lower numbers. And I'm not getting the clientele that I want to work with that respects what I do because I've done that before and I felt burnt out. So I completely agree. If you feel like you are running into people aren't respecting my boundaries, like this is really difficult. I'm starting to burn out. Try upping your prices. Try upping your prices. It sounds absolutely backwards. Try upping your prices and you will, rec- you will see, I guarantee you, you will see that the, the, the type of clientele you are getting is going to be different. It's going to be a type of clientele that respects what you're doing just a little bit more because they're not just looking to like throw their money at someone to fit that hole, like to, to fix a certain like, lineup with all the rest of the vendors, so to speak. But they're hiring you because they want you and they think you are worth it. How would a new planner get starting with their email list? How often should you contact them? Yeah. So as far as an email list, what you want to do is like what we do with ours, I'll explain what we do with ours is we take people on a journey. So like, Hey, you're brand new. Congratulations. We're so excited. Here's kind of what you should be focusing on right now. And probably an email every either one to five days. So barely let a full week go by before we send another email, just checking in. How's this going? Kind of a thing. So what journey are you taking your clients on? Is this going to be supplemental to what you are doing with them wedding planning wise? Is this to get them prepared for their wedding day? If you're only doing day of coordination, what is the purpose of that journey? And then start writing out the content that will actually go into that email list. And then how can you provide value in that list? Like what articles can you link to? Maybe you send out one of my videos. I don't care. Or a funny TikTok that you found, but maintaining a relatively easy pace contact. And then what journey you want to take them on would be very helpful. And then something like Drip or MailChimp would be the best way to do that. How would you get started with it? Start collecting email addresses. When you get a client, you walk them through that journey. Uh, trying to think of different kinds of freebies to give away and get emails and wondered if preferred suppliers list would be a good idea. I'm assuming by preferred suppliers, you mean preferred vendors. That's usually like a bonus. People don't really have to work for that. And unless you have a notoriously high following, like potentially I could do that and be like, all right, if you want my preferred Southern California vendor list, sign up here. it's probably going to be a little bit more slow going with that. You want to have a lead gen or lead generator that has a higher motivating factor because a a preferred vendor list is like icing on the cake, but there's no actual cake there. It's it's a great additional thing to give. When it comes to a lead generator or something freebie to give away, you want to give away something really good. And I mean like really good. And I know it sounds absolutely insane, but if someone looks at your freebie and goes, wait, that's the freebie? What's the paid stuff look like? Like, this is their free because we get freebies from everything and half of them are absolute crap. And we're like, I knew I signed up for this. I knew I should have known. I should have known. Make your freebie really good. Make it super good. Maybe it's a timeline. Maybe it's a bunch of templates for emails that they can be sending out to vendors. Maybe it's make it good. Cause then they're going to be like, absolutely. I'll sign up. And then they're going to like, shut up and take my money, <laughs> you know? So I would definitely up the level of what you're giving away. What are the main key items that full service planning should have? Also, how can I separate my full service and partial planning, but also be fair with both packages? That's where I do things according to meetings. Like this package offers five meetings. This package offers 10 meetings. The bones of what we do here is still very much the same, but with 10 meetings, I can go with you to some of your vendor appointments. We can throw in an additional walkthrough at one of your venues or at your venue. That's how I differentiate between the two. two. Uh, It's more of my time. So I don't offer something special 
for my full planning clients. In fact, there's a gal uh, here in Waco that kind of like I've been mentoring through some of her stuff as well. And she's like, like, it's so hard to keep track of like, oh, wait, you're only a partial planning client. So I can't give you that. That's really hard to keep track of as opposed to, you know, make your services all the same, just give them different amounts of time. Um, so that's where I would make that differentiation. So that way it's not like, oh, wait, you're a partial person. And I just gave you that for free. Like, that's not how I wanted to dang it. Like that's supposed to only be for full planning people. No, it's, it should be the amount of time. That's the difference. Um, and that's how you can also be fair is because they're paying per hour. Now you don't tell them the hourly stuff you heard just a little bit ago when I was like, I had a, a lawyer client be like, you owe us two hours. How are you going to give us, how are you going to compensate? Nope. And I go into this and I think in the package conversation, but basically like I treat each meeting as a two hour meeting in my head and I charge my hourly rate for that meeting. They don't see that. This is all my behind the scenes. So let's say my hourly rate was 50 bucks. So it's going to be a hundred dollars a meeting. That's what I have in my head. 10 meetings, a thousand dollars, and then, you know, $800 for day of coordination. Cause it's eight hours of my time, but this time I'm in person. And I also have an assistant with me very quickly just piled up what that package would look like. Now I would recommend charging more than that for your hourly rate. 75 is a good place to start. hundred dollars is a good place to start. Um, because 1800 for 20 hours worth of meetings and then eight hours on a wedding day, that's cheap. Um, especially when you have driving to do, you have other expenses to think through. So I, I think I go through that more in the, the, when we talk about packages, but there's a little bit of a snippet to help you out. That's a wrap folks. That's the end of the episode for today. And I hope that you found some amazing wisdom from what we discussed here today. If you did find some little nuggets of wisdom that you just loved, we are so glad to hear it. And we would love to actually hear back from you about that. If you take a screenshot of this episode and tag Wolfer and Co over on Instagram, let us know, like tag us, let us know that you liked what we talked about here. Or if you didn't like it, you can also let us know. We, we might not reshare that one though. So yeah, Wolfer and Co over on Instagram, tag us, let us know your love in the podcast. We will be excited to hear about it. Until next week, once again, thank you for joining us and happy planning.